And as we're moving back into this series on the household, I, I want to go back to one of our touchstone verses uh, that gives us a good summary of what we're talking about when we speak about the household. Some of you uh, may have not been here when we started this uh, series, but uh, we've spent some time talking about what the covenant household looks like. And Colossians 3, 18 20, uh, through 22 outlines the basic order of the household. It is wives and husbands, children and parents, and bond servants and masters. And this is not an exhaustive list. This isn't everyone, but ordinarily, most people will fit into one of these basic categories. And so the scriptures gives us guidance on how the authority structure of the household functions. It tells us how we should operate in our households. And before we proceed this morning, I, I want to remind you all that this isn't an arbitrary structure. Okay, God, in his infinite wisdom, bases this structure of the household not on us, so it's not some social construct, social construct where he's looking at us and said saying you guys figure it out on your own and you guys will decide how to order your households but rather he bases the structure of the household on himself okay it's based on god himself there is a intra-trinitarian structure that we mirror when we follow god's ordained order in the household when we image god and act how we should be as his image bears that is what we are uh, mirroring when we are uh, acting out. We are mirroring God's very character. So there is a, a hierarchy of sorts that comes with uh, the headship rules. Okay, we've talked about headship a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 11.13 says this, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, So just as fixed as God himself is, is the very order of our households. It's based on who God is and how he operates within even the Trinity itself, where the Son submits to the Father. Okay, So it's based on that, not just whatever we decide. It's not arbitrary. Okay, And because this is true, we're reminded that these structures are not based upon us or our competencies, because that's a tendency that we have, is to say, well, we will own our roles uh, insofar as we're able to qualify ourselves and uh, earn our way there. Okay, so, so it's not based on how we are acting. It's based on how God has just set the order of the household. It's not that a man is the head of a wife because he's smarter or more, more capable of leading. Okay, we all know that that's not true. It's because God ordained that men and women should reflect different but complementary parts of the Godhead. That's why women or wives have one role and husbands have another role, not because anyone is any smarter than any other person. Uh, for instance, the son who submits to the Father, isn't inferior to the Father because he submits to him. That's Trinitarian belief. They are equal, right? There, there is no difference in their uh, dignity and worth, okay? And this truth is all the more important as we come to children, okay? Simply because children must obey their parents does not mean that they matter less. It does not mean that they are less important or are inferior to their parents. We don't believe that. In fact, there's something profound that, uh, about children that even parents can learn from, right? When, when you look at a child, there are things that even children can teach us as parents. Childlike faith, for instance, isn't something that you learn best from an adult. Let's just be honest, right? Childlike faith is learned best from a child. It is the child who baffles us in their absolute dependence and trust upon us as parents that teaches us about the faith that we must have in our God. We learn from children, okay? So today we'll return to the subject of children and highlight their inclusivity, 
they're, the, they're being included in the covenant household uh, and why that matters, why it's so important to consider children as an integral part of the household. And again, our text is Colossians 3, 18 through 22, which kind of outlines the household. And we're going to focus on just the children this morning, though. So again, these are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning as we read Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The word of God for his people this morning. Let's pray. Father, you have not left us. Um, without a word. You have given us your very breathed out, inspired words to instruct us in how we should live our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would humbly receive that instruction this morning. Lord, let us not think that we are wiser than you. Let us not think that we could come up with better ways of living out our households. Let us Humbly look at your word, see the simplicity of it, see the profundity of it, see how, how you speak to us and inspire us through the same Holy Spirit that you've placed with, within us. Lord, we pray that that same spirit would help these words to sink deep down into our bones, to convict us even of our sin, to lead us to Christ Jesus, and raise us up with him to believe the truth that you've placed before us and help us to obey them so that we might glorify you all the more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, when we were in the cold downstairs, uh, I addressed the children, uh, and I was speaking primarily to the benefits that come to them when they obey. We talked about children. You're going to live long in the land. It's going to go well with you. Um, pretty, pretty simple truths from Ephesians 6. That's what we were looking at, at, the blessings to children in their obedience. And this week, I want to focus on how the children play an, an integral role in the overall household order and how there will be blessings that will ensue from their obedience. And what we realize is that their obedience doesn't just bless them, it actually blesses everyone. The obedience of children blesses everyone. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to as we're thinking about these things in this text uh, is in Colossians uh, 3, as we're looking at this passage, the first thing that we need to realize when we're talking about children is that they're not just mentioned, but they are addressed. Okay, I want you to think about the significance of that. The children aren't just mentioned in passing. The children are actually addressed by the Apostle Paul, who is speaking on behalf of God, and he is addressing to uh, the children. He gives them instructions. Okay? When Paul writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, think about this. When he writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, he doesn't just have the believing adults in mind. He includes the whole household, which includes children in his address. Okay? This certainly includes children. So there's an inclusivity that we need to pay attention to here. So mind you, that we're, what we're talking about here isn't just the family. Okay? It is that. But we're talking about the covenant household, that ordained structure within Christian community that is the very bedrock of 
society. The, 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 what he's talking about in this book matters. He's giving to us wisdom for society. As the household works in conjunction with the church and the state being these kind of three sovereign pillars, these three spheres that promote a diverse and balanced society where each sphere contributes to the overall well-being and flourishing of individuals and communities. This is something we should pay attention to. It's really important that we get this right. And children play an integral role in this as they are being shaped to foster a God-honoring society. Okay? They are our future. Let's just be honest. That's The people that are going to rule the world in 100 years are our kids. Okay? And, and when we think of the children, we need to, we need to honor them. Okay? We should not see them as potentially, maybe, possibly, if God wills, perhaps in his divine election, maybe he might someday maybe save them and then they can be included. That's actually not the way that this book is set up. That's not the way that they're addressed in this book of Colossians. Rather, we look to the children as already being included in the covenant community. Think about this. Paul honors and dignifies the children as covenant members when he addressed them as saints. He, call, he tells the children to do something after he's already said, I'm talking to the saints. I'm talking to the saints in the church, and then he speaks to the children. And pastorally, I want to help shepherd all of your hearts to embrace that covenant inclusion as we're planning to seal and signify the inclusion of children in the covenant community next week in baptism. Okay, we are going to be uh, observing baptisms next week in church, and we need to be thinking towards that end. When we as a community observe the baptism of a child, we are called to celebrate uh, that declaration by God upon the child of their inclusion in the people of God. When we baptize a kid, we are saying, you are now part of us. You are part of the church. You're part of the saints uh, and those who are uh, in the church. Just like Paul addressed the, the saints in Colossae, we are addressing children now that are coming into our covenant community. And while this text does not directly spell that out, it's an implication that we can draw from this and apply to our local context as we're gearing up for next week. Children are included in the covenant household, and that is precisely why we baptize them. So I want us to kind of get ready for that in our hearts and our minds as we're going to be observing that next week. But lest we get too abstract, uh, I want to come back to the text. Okay, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at verse 20 and realize that children are being called here to do something. Okay, so they're not just mentioned. They're not even just addressed, but they're addressed and given instru instruction to do something, and that is to obey. Now, we talked about this last week, looking at Ephesians 6, and I would re uh, remind you that the grounds for this that Paul roots this in, uh, his argument in, okay? He doesn't just merely assert that it's right. So he doesn't just say, kids, obey your parents because it's right. He does say that, but he, he keeps on talking, okay? He applies the law of God to them from the Ten Commandments, saying, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land, okay? So that's why you do it. Because it's right, and because God's word says so, and you are a part of the covenant community, which has this law given to us, the Ten Commandments, and it applies to you. Okay, So by extension of our first point, that children are included as saints, we should note, too, that as saints, the apostle obliges them to the law of the covenant community, the law of God. Okay, He doesn't wait for a profession of faith before calling them to obedience. Right? He includes them first and says, you're a part of us, this is what we do, obey. Okay? The obligation to obedience is built into the covenant household. It's a part of it. 
just like a man doesn't earn his way up to headship in the home, neither does a child earn his or her place in the home uh, with the attending obligations. A child doesn't start to obey to become a part and a member of the household. They just are. Children simply are a part of the covenant community, and as such, they are given the obligations by God just like the rest of the household. And like our, our text last week, the child is instructed to obey the parents in everything. I laid emphasis on that because it's important that we realize that when they're being called to obedience, they are called to obey the parents, not just the commands of the parents, but the parents themselves. Okay, This is a personal obedience, kids. You're talking to a person. When, when mom and dad give you an instruction, it's not some abstract law out there. You're obeying them. Okay, Mom and dad are who you are obeying when they give you instruction. And Proverbs 31 says that these obedient children, when you're doing what you're supposed to, kids, will rise up and call their parents blessed. So children, when you do this, it not only blesses you, it also blesses your parents, and it even blesses God. Think about that. How that blessing is just kind of stirring the pot all around. It says in verse 20 that this pleases the Lord in your obedience. So when you obey, you, you're, you're getting blessing upon yourself, blessing upon your household, and even blessing the Lord in a way. You're, you're giving a blessing back to God. You're pleasing the Lord through your obedience and accepting and, and joyously uh, embracing who you are, which is a child. And that, and that doesn't last forever, but when you are there and you obey, that is glorifying God. So what we're finding is that the covenant household is deeply personal and relational. Okay, it's personal and relational. It's not cold, rigid law. It's love. Okay? It, is, it is love. Love is the fuel for the covenant community to thrive. And it doesn't just go for children. It goes for everyone. Good luck having a, a faithful marriage to God where love isn't there. Right? Good luck following wives submit to your husbands without love being there. That, that's not going to work. And good luck trying to be a good employee when love isn't somehow involved and you're loving and, and you're, you're recognizing that that's another human being and you're loving, right? Love fuels the covenant household. And when this love is put into action through obedience, what you'll find is that it begins to bear all kinds of fruit. Not only does the obedience so blessing to you children, but the obedience of children even becomes a kind of pedagogical tool for all people. Okay, what do I mean by that? The, the obedience of children being a pedagogical tool. What I'm saying is that children in their obedience are actually teaching all people something. Yes, parents teach the children, but a well-taught child will teach everyone. Okay, A well-taught child in their humility and their, uh, their submission to the parents, that's teaching everyone something. Let me, let me give you an example. In Matthew 18, the disciples were bickering about who is the greatest. Okay? They were kind of playing the, the hierarchy game. Who's really in charge here? Which one of us is the top dog that has to listen to the other people? What's this tier look like? What's the, what's the, the, the ladder kind of look like? And Jesus' response is pretty shocking to the way that they're acting about all the roles that they have. It says, in calling to him a child, this is Jesus, that Jesus calls a child, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, Unless you turn to become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone 
fastened around his neck and to be thrown and drowned into the sea. Those are pretty dark images, right? It's, it's not just make sure you don't trip these kids up. It's he gives vivid imagery of how awful it would be to cause one of these little children to trip up. And I want you to just get that image in your head of Jesus, okay? Think about Jesus, what it says there. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Okay, this had to have been a small child, right? This isn't some uh, 18-year-old that he's putting in the midst of them. He grabs a child. It says he put him in the midst of them and then refers to that child, okay? So this, just get this image of the apostles kind of standing around this kids over here. And Jesus goes and picks this kids up, puts him in the midst of them, and uses this kid as a teaching example to the apostles, okay? Let, let's not forget that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Paul says. It was these same apostles that Jesus used to teach. Okay, it was, it was these same apostles that Jesus used children to teach. He's using kids to teach these same apostles. Let that sink in for a second. Observing children was the apostolic seminary. Okay, how the apostles get their training? Jesus grabs a kid and says, look at this. This is how I train these people who are going to be the foundation of the church. Look at this kid. And it took numerous seminary classes for them to figure this out. This isn't the only time that the apostles kind of had this trip up with children where, where, where Jesus says, okay, you need to look at the children again. Mark 10, uh, 13 through 16 says this, And they were bringing children to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Okay, so you get this image. The, the apostles are reju uh, rebuking the people for trying to bring kids to Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, it says, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Again, these stories reiterate the importance of the inclusivity uh, of the covenant community towards children. We should embrace, call the children to us just like Jesus. But it also tells us that we have something to learn from children. Okay, Jesus used the children to teach his disciples. And, and that is the, the simplicity of faithful obedience. That's the main lesson there. Think about how much submission and obedience it takes to be grabbed by someone and stuck in a circle of grown men and be, have a lesson taught about you. That's what Jesus does there. And he says, look at this. This is what you need to be like. You need to be so willing that you are a submission, uh, in submission to your authorities like this. Okay? It was children who Jesus used to rebuke the pride and the arrogance of even the apostles themselves. That's striking. In other words, when a child assumes his or her rightful place in the covenant household, this example of humility doesn't just affect the individual. It serves as a significant reminder to all people that we are in need of this childlike faith when it comes to our submission to our rightful authorities, whoever they might be. God places us in different roles in the household, and he says, be like children when you are living this out obediently. Children, when you humbly obey your parents, this pleases your God and even causes him to act on your behalf in fulfillment of his promise that it might go well with you, and that you might live long in the land. It will bring blessing to you and might even be a blessing to you in the most surprising of ways. I want you to think about this. Similar to how a faithful wife can win over an unbelieving husband by her submission to them, there is a real possibility that your humble, obedient service to, to Christ 
could win over a wayward parent or some other adult. That's the kind of thing you need to be looking out for, children. You might even be able to, to bring about the salvation of a parent. If your parent is an unbeliever, maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's some other authority figure that's been placed in your life. Your simple obedience might actually be the, the, the means of grace that this person needs to see the goodness of God, to be brought closer to Christ Jesus himself. You see, children, God will use you and your obedience to his glory. You matter. The children really do matter. Do not think that your position in the home is not dignified simply because you are now at the bottom of the total pole and you aren't able to tell your parents what to do. God sees you. God sees you, children. He welcomes you and he will use you to shame even the wise. Think about that. That example of the apostles. He will use you in your weakness to overcome the powerful. God loves the children, and he loves to use the children for his glory. And if you think I'm wrong, I want you to consider the example of Jesus himself as a child. As we're starting to close, I want you to think of this. You probably remember the story. Joseph and Mary are at the temple and accidentally leave Jesus there. Horrible uh, parent fail. We've all had them, but, but that's what happened. Jesus kind of got left there by his parents. His parents kind of go on. They thought he was part of the crowd and was, was there, but he wasn't. And after frantically searching for him, Luke gives us a beautiful image of the boy child Jesus sitting among the teachers in the temple. Okay? Get this image of Jesus there surrounded by the elders, sitting with them. And as Jesus asked them questions, they were amazed, it says, at his understanding and wisdom. You ever seen that kid that just asks the right questions? Or they're, they're asking you a question, you're like, that's a good question. That, that's kind of the image that we get of Jesus, where he's sitting there as a boy, uh, questioning the, the, the elders to, to things that they probably don't even have answers for, but realizing this kid, he knows something. This is wisdom right here, coming from the mouth of babes. And, and his parents were astonished when they found him. And Mary said this in Luke 2, 48 through 52, it says this, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And when he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. That's the wording of the text there. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I wanted to close with this passage for a couple of reasons. First, it reminds us that our place in the household has nothing to do with knowledge. Right? The obedience that we're called to has nothing to do with how much we know or how competent we are. Jesus had already surpassed his parents' wisdom in many ways at this age. He knew things that they didn't. He knew things that the elders didn't know. And it says that they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them when he said he was in his father's house. In other words, Jesus is talking over their heads spiritually and theologically. The kid knew something more than the parents did. Nevertheless, he was submissive to them, is what it says. Think of the authority that Jesus could have thrown around there, but didn't because that wasn't right because of his place in the household. He, he's God. Think of the things that Jesus could have said to humiliate Mary, make her feel awful, but he didn't. He held that back and he was submissive to them. Why? Because Jesus was obedient to his God who told him to honor his mother and his father. That's why. So children, 
Your position as a child does not mean that you are less competent than your parents. Even if you happen to be smarter than your parents in, in some area, the biblical response is still submission to them, obedience to them. doesn't matter how much you know. Your position as a child is God-ordained. It's not earned. It's not something you can be demoted to. It's not something you can necessarily even graduate from. It is simply where God presently has you, and it's your job to embrace that and simply Okay, so that's the first thing it shows us, that our place in the household has nothing to do with knowledge. Second, this shows us how an obedient child teaches the parents. Yeah, I've talked about this pedagogical use. It didn't go unnoticed that Jesus was extraordinarily wise in his submission to his parents. Mary realized this and pondered it in her heart. That's the language that it kind of uses, uh, where Mary uh, cherishes this. It's, it's a treasure to her. His peculiar, humble obedience was a treasure to the heart of his mother. Uh, moms, have you ever had this experience before? Or, or you've told your kid to do something, and they simply said, yes, ma'am. Like, just simply. Maybe maybe none of you have. It's I know it's rare sometimes. But 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 you treasure up those moments, do you? Don't you? Where, where you're instructing your child in something, and, and maybe you would think, Today of all days, they're, they're going to for sure kick back, and they don't for whatever reason. Those are the moments that those mothers and fathers, they're like, that, that touches me, actually. It touches their heart. You're able to treasure those things up in your heart. You ponder on them, and you think about that. Like, that was hard for my son or my daughter to, to do that in that moment, and yet they did it. Why? Because they loved me. Right. This is what Mary is experiencing here with her son Jesus. His actions rose up and called her blessed, and she felt that. She experienced it. And not only did uh, this child teach his parents, right? It taught Mary and Joseph, but he also was sitting with the teachers in the temple, right? We might take this uh, and apply this uh, saying maybe to a modern context and say that uh, children with humble obedience affect not only the household, but maybe the church. Think of maybe a, a kid kind of wandering their way into a session meeting where the elders are gathered around, real, real official, talking about all their, their high and lofty things, and a child asks a simple question that kind of leaves them all dumbfounded. It could happen today. It does happen, right? Children teach adults. God uses children in a unique way to kind of recapture and recover childlike faith. Okay? That's something that many of us, as we've kind of grown older and aged in our pride, we, we lose a bit of wonder that children kind of call back to us where we realize there's a part of my childhood that's died off that needs to come back to life. Kids teach us those kind of things. We want to honor them for that. We want to thank them for that. We want to realize that we as parents, as we as adults, we're learning even things from kids. That's the kind of humility that we need to have that is a very childlike humility, right? Okay, so that's the second thing. Obedient children teach even the parents. And finally, the story of the child Jesus reminds us that he was the perfect child. Jesus was the perfect child, which if you haven't realized yet, kids, you are not. You are not perfect kids. I wasn't a perfect kid. You aren't a perfect kid. There has never been a perfect kid in this entire room. But, but let me tell you the gospel of your childhood. Jesus lived the perfect life of a child so that you could have a perfect sub substitute for your imperfect life. Right? When you stand before God, you don't want your works, your childhood obedience, to be the grounds by which he may or may not accept you. That would not be a good, uh, a good outcome for you. If you didn't know... The Old Testament is replete with scriptures about the punishment of dishonorable children. I want you to think about this. People in here who know your Bibles well, think about the law in the Old Testament 
uh, about the rebellious children and what the community is called to do to some of these kids. Think about that. In some places, they were instructed to be publicly stoned for the rebellion. Others, they are to be beaten with rods on their backs for their foolishness. This is not even to mention the providential times that children mock adults and are eaten by she-bears. Right? That didn't just randomly happen. The kids are mocking a man for being bald, and a bear comes out of the woods and eats the bear or eats the kids. It's like, whoa. God takes submission and obedience to authority figures very seriously, especially from children to adults. It's not something to play around with. And the point that I mention all these all these things with is that disobedience is sin, and sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. That's the seriousness of this, this, this discussion that we're having about kids. In that sense, we can say that it was just, it was righteous for God to command these punishment for rebellious children because it is sin. But, okay, here's the big but. We must remember that the law was meant to lead us to Christ in our disparity. When we look at that and we say, that actually was supposed to be me. That leads us somewhere. It leads us to Jesus, to the gospel. The law reminds you, children, that you deserve to be whipped, flogged, beaten, killed, and even consumed. All of which Jesus did for you. Think about that. Jesus did that for you. You deserved all of that. It's, it's crazy to think about, but it's true. Christ has already undergone all of that perfectly as a righteous man, undeserving of it all, because you have sinned. Which means that he was paying for the sins of others. Your sins are the sins that held him there on the cross. Even his children. Even a child is known by his doing. So those sins that Jesus died for are even yours, children. And you need to take ownership of that. That's part of recognizing the gospel, the cross. Realizing that it was you that hung him there on the cross. But the good news is that Jesus promises you his righteousness in exchange for his sin. That's, that's salvation. And once you realize that righteousness has been given to you by grace, this then compels you to obey. So there's the formula. Okay, Not just try really hard to obey your parents' kids. You have to realize the gospel first in order for you to have the fuel to obey. The love of Christ for you on the cross is what helps you obey as a child. The love of Christ compels us. It constrains us, Paul says. That's what the love of Christ does. It helps us Stay in line with the obedience that we've been called to. So children, the gospel of childhood is that you can't be the perfect child. But Jesus has already been that for you. Jesus has done that for you already. And when you realize that, you will then want to please the Lord by doing what he says, like obeying your parents. Right? You do it out of gratitude. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. That helps you then to be able to start obeying uh, Jesus and taking his command seriously like children obey your parents. You start to live like Jesus does. And when you do this, you aren't earning his love. You aren't working to be loved. You're working from a place of love already. God loves you first, and you love him back. Okay? God loves you first. You aren't earning his love when you're obeying his, uh, your parents. You're not trying to get a place with him and to be included by him through your obedience. You're obeying because you're already part. You are fueled by the love that he's already given to you on the cross. And as you can imagine, this obedience brings blessing. It blesses you. It blesses your parents. It blesses the entire community so that we all might be able to uh, be able to come together in a blessed state. And even God himself is blessed. It says in, blessed, uh, in, in verse 20 that it pleases God. And what that means is that Jesus' blessing to the world lives on and continues to grow through the love that you give in obedience, children. That's the part that you play in the world. And it's pretty big if you think about it. 
You help bless the world through your obedience. And that is why you matter, children. You absolutely matter. The world needs your faith to help us all reimagine what simple, Christ-like, childlike uh, obedience looks like in submission to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for children. We thank you for the future that they promise us. We thank you that uh, they mean a continuation of the values uh, that we hold so so closely to in your word. We thank you that uh, we have many promises to cling to, that um, the children will remain true and faithful to you when we do as we are instructed to, raising them in the nurture and admonition of your word. So, Lord, I want to pray a blessing over all of the children in this room this morning. Though they may be few, they matter. And, Lord, I pray that you would help them in their um, maybe even fight at sometimes to obey. It's not easy to obey. Lord, I pray that you would give them.